Recording has started. And we will begin. I'll just uh, say another quick word of prayer to ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word to our hearts, and then we'll jump right in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this uh, morning, the time of remembrance to remember the work that uh, the Lord Jesus wrought for us on the cross. Remember the fact that you sent him to the earth, not to just live a, a perfect sinless life as the ultimate example of how we can pattern ourselves, but to die on the cross for our sins, focused as he was so much so on the spiritual state of man rather than the physical state. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to fellowship with one another and also the opportunity that we have now to open up your word. We thank you so much, Father, for this time. Pray a blessing on your word and the reading of it. Pray that you would take me out of this message completely and just have uh, only what you would have us to hear to be remaining in our hearts. Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we will be in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. And I'm going through verse 39, but we will read the two sections um, by themselves. So the first section is starting Luke chapter 8, verse 22, reading from the ESV. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Once again, may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. So, as we look at this, there's a lot of different things in here that I wanted to, to touch on as far as exhortation. Um, there's actually some neat recent parallels in my own life that I could talk about. Um, maybe shallow in some cases, no pun intended, but a lot having to do with just being out on the water. Um, but following after... And the neat thing is that the, the section that our brother Casey covered ends on a focus on the spiritual because they come and they tell him that, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are outside and they were, they're trying to get in to see you. But he's so much so focused on the spiritual side of things and the spiritual state of those around him that his response is that my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so that was, again, the work that his father had sent him to do. He was focused on those things. Um, but this next section starts out kind of simply. It just states that the Lord um, gets into the boat with his disciples, and he says, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So, okay, this would be a hopefully fairly uneventful time, but Jesus falls asleep, which uh, McDonald noted, and I mean all of us can just tell, attest to his humanity, right? Fully man and fully God. He needed to rest, and he rests as he's going across. He knows what's going to happen, but he's resting, um, and he's sleeping in the front of the ship. And there's different, the neat thing about a lot of these stories, as has been done by Mark and 
uh, Casey as well, is that you can read them in Luke, but you can also read them in Matthew, you can read them in, in Mark, you, you, know, you can read them in different accounts and see different things. So the main thrust of what I'm going to talk about here is, is faith and our day-to-day battle with wanting to do things ourselves instead of giving them over to the Lord Jesus or giving them over to God to let him either help us or to, to, to take the helm. So this situation, as we're going to, you know, the, what we just covered and as you look at it at face value, if you take Jesus out of that story for a minute and you just look at what was happening to the disciples, that was a real life-threatening situation. So, you know, I was fishing at a pond over this vacation and I got a hook buried in my finger and it hurt a lot. Um, I couldn't get it out. I had to go to the ER. It was a barbed hook. You can't back those out. You have to rip them out um, or surgically remove them. But I had to go to the ER and that wasn't a life-threatening situation. I was nervous and my adrenaline was spiking, but it wasn't a life-threatening situation. And the the Lake Genesaret or the Sea of Galilee is not like a pond like I was at where I could probably, you know, you could run to the other side of it in like a minute. This was a huge body of water. And if they're out in the middle of it and a storm breaks out and there's waves crashing into the boat, this is life or death. I mean, they wake Jesus up and they say, we're going to die. Like we are perishing. And if you read the account in, uh, I believe it is John, they actually say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's what they ask him. And we're going to touch on that because it's actually really neat how that's written. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive a little deeper there. But um, this was a life-threatening situation. And what I'm going to focus on a little bit later is how few of those we actually have in our lives, but how we nevertheless still don't give them over to the Lord Jesus. But I wanted to talk about, I had another opportunity over the last couple of weeks to go fishing on the ocean. And I've never done this before. Um, I know Mike's done it before. Tom's family's done it many times. But I had never done, you know, deep sea fishing. This was in depths of like 70 to 100 feet of water, which is really, really deep. But you're out on a boat and you can't see anything. It's just blue. It's just water. As far as you can see, there's no land. So we woke up at 4 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m., we got in the car, we drove an hour to um, Narragansett, and we actually put out of a port called the Port of Galilee, which I thought was just kind of interesting, um, given, the, uh, given the, where we are at in the Bible right now and, um, and Galilee and its uh, proximity to that. But we put out of that port, and it was like pea soup fog, super thick. I couldn't see a thing. Like you could see a little ways, and then it was just a wall of fog. And even the captain was like, this is not great. It's not ideal. Um, I wish it was clear, both for, because it was chartered and he wanted our experience to be good. But for him, if you're steering a boat, you have to see other boats. You have to see obstacles. You have to see buoys. You have to see the land, the shore, rocks, everything. And so what the captain had, though, was a set of instrumentation, radar, um, charts on his iPad and maps and everything, GPS location for his boat that would show, you know, it cut through the fog, so to speak, so that you could see everything. And I think he had said, like, I just upgraded my radar. And I was like, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because otherwise, like, this is like pretty sketchy. Um, you're just going. You can hear the engine of the boat, but you can't see a thing. Um, 
And so if you think about it in that way, he was actually putting his faith or his trust in those instruments. All of that instrumentation was what was keeping us from crashing into who knows what, because without that or without a compass or anything like that, your sense of direction is just immediately gone. If you turn a little bit, you're, you're no longer uh, going the direction that you thought you were and you don't know where that direction was and how far you need to turn to get back there. Very easy to get turned around. So pretty scary. If the captain was a little bit nervous, I was super nervous because this is I'd never done this again. Um, but we're all kind of trusting in that instrumentation as we talk about putting your faith in the Lord. In this case, trusting in God to take care of us and to navigate us through different circumstances of life. Eventually, we got out and we started fishing and the sun came out. We couldn't really tell at first, but eventually it burned off the fog. And it turned out to be a really nice, actually too hot, really sunny day. We're layering on tons of sunscreen, but it burned away all the fog. Um, and I wasn't really any more comfortable because now we were in that spot where you couldn't see any land or anything. And so sometimes a boat would go by and the waves of the wake of that bigger boat would come and hit your boat. And there was one point, I think, where somebody had a fish on and they were, I think it might have been Nate, and he was trying to bring it in, and the waves were like almost coming into the boat. And there's ways for the water to get back out. The boats are designed for that. But I'm like, I don't know that. So I'm like, well, <laughs> this could be it. We're going down. So, and th you know, it's a nice day. There's no waves. It's not a storm. There's not a cloud in the sky. The fog all burned away, and I'm still nervous. So, you know, it was just funny the way that I'm reading this story, and I'm like, man, if I was the disciples, I would have been exactly the same way. I think there's a temptation to look at this story and be like, they should have had faith. This is the Lord Jesus that was in their boat. How could they not know that? How could they not trust him? I think all of us would have been exactly like them. I would have been worse. And so to think about that and to think about the circumstances of our life that aren't even that serious, right? It's not life or death. And we still don't give those up to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 24, they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. Or again, if you look at John, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And again, I think that would have been any one of us. Scripture includes the fact that the boat was filling with water and they were in danger. It wasn't just like, they, like, like me. I thought I was in danger because this was my first experience. Um, the disciples are fishermen. They know the difference. They've been on the water. They know when it's like, oh, this is no big deal. And when it's like, okay, this is really, really bad. And we're probably going to die here. And so they wake up Jesus to tell him that they're perishing. And how many, again, of our situations in our day-to-day -day truly involve life-threatening danger for us? Are those situations easier to give to God or harder to give to God? I would wager that those situations are oftentimes easier to give to God because we're brought to a place where there's nothing else that we can do except cry out for him. And Casey touched on it this morning from the standpoint of mammon or, or wealth, where you're, you're in a place where you feel like you don't need God because anything that I need, anything that I need to be provided for me, I can just go get. I don't really need to, to lean on the Lord for some of those things. So thinking of it in that same vein, a life-threatening situation where it's like, I'm at my end, physically, uh, mentally, intellectually. I can't get myself out of this situation. I have to cast myself on the mercies of the Lord. But what about the little situations? I think those are where we are more often tempted to say, 
this is just a fight with with a coworker or argument with a spouse or whatever, like insert any situation where we're like, I got this. I'm going to handle this. I could figure it out. It's just, it's just a small thing. And we don't go to the Lord Jesus with it. And we think maybe it worked out well, but there could be repercussions or issues with how we handle that situation that would have been better um, helped if we had sought the Lord's help in that. Um, and I don't think that I mean, we have such a wonderful Savior. He, he's so long-suffering. There's never going to be a point where he's like, again, you're coming to me again with this? Like, you come to me like a thousand times a day. Like, I think it's like, yeah, bring it on. He wants that relationship with us. So to go with him with all of these things, to go to him with all of these things is only good because it keeps us in that communication with him constantly and talking to him and and and. You know, I was going to say wrestling with him, but I don't want my hip dislocated. But, um, you know, just just sharing our feelings and having that communion and that discussion with 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 our Lord and Savior um, is is a is a beautiful thing and giving those things over to him. And I think that he will bless in those situations and he'll reward them. He's not just going to say, yep, now that you brought it to me, everything's hunky dory. Everything works out. It's all great. Name it, claim it, all that stuff. Um, but it's certainly much better than the opposite. And I think we can all attest to how poorly it can go sometimes when we try to take matters into our own hands. You see plenty of that in the Old Testament. We've covered off on that many times um, in, in different stories in the Old Testament. And, and when people try to do it their own way, it doesn't really work out. They come up with a plan. I'll say she's my sister and we'll be good to go. And then like, oh, it didn't really work out the way I thought it was going to work out. Um, so... Um, you see those things when you look all throughout the, the scriptures and all throughout the, uh, the word of the Lord. So, again, just thinking about the disciples, where they felt as if they were in the most dangerous situation of their lives. We are going to die. They were actually in the safest of all places. They were in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think McDonald had a quote, and he didn't say who it was from, and I'm going to butcher it, unfortunately, but readily. Um, and it was something like, no swell can sink the ship within which resides the one who made the oceans, or something like that. But basically, there's not going to be a storm that can capsize the boat that the Lord Jesus Christ is in. You know. But again, to say that now, when you're zoomed out, looking at the word of God, saying, yeah, those disciples, they should have known better. I mean, again, every one of us would have done the exact same thing, because it's one thing to read about a scenario. It's very different to be in that scenario, experiencing it firsthand. So, but if you look at this story in John, and we don't have to turn to it and read the whole thing, but again, at least in the ESV, the way that that question is asked or posed to the Lord Jesus Christ is, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And I read, you know, the other accounts and, and, and I read the one in John and I was like, okay, cool, getting some different, um, you know, different pieces of the puzzle, if you will, or different facts about the, 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 the account or the story. And, but when I read that, I was just like, I stopped. Because when you read it that way, you can take it two ways. You could take it immediately in physical and you can say, don't you care that we're going to die in this water? The waves are coming in. We're going to sink and we're going to drown. Or 
Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? If you look at that spiritually, it's a really, really beautiful turn because you can almost hear Jesus saying, well, that's, that's why I'm here. I actually do care that you guys are perishing spiritually. I actually care more than anything that humanity is spiritually perishing and that's why I'm here in this boat going across to preach the good news. That's why I'm here on this earth. That's why my father sent me. That's why when I'm asked about my mother and brothers physically, I turn it to the spiritual because that's what I care about. I do care about you perishing, but not in a boat. Not that you realize it, but you're not going to perish because I'm here. But I do care about you, you spiritually perishing. And we're going to see that even in the next little story after this one in the section that I'm covering this morning. That focus is so much so on the spiritual and not on the physical. That's not what the Lord Jesus says here. But I thought it was so neat the way that that question was asked of him in John because it just made me think. And it was a blessing to me to think that way that thanks be to God that he did care that we were perishing. Not in the little circumstances of life or in, you know, in a boating accident or a car accident or a plane crash or something, again, life-threatening and very serious to us, but physical. But much more grandiose than that, much more important, much more long-lasting, eternal, the spiritual state of our souls. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Of course he cared. He knew that they weren't going to perish hence his ability to fall asleep in what they thought was a life-threatening situation. But he cared about us perishing spiritually. And he came to this earth and he was going to undergo sufferings on the cross and spiritually at the hands of his father that we can't even begin to enter into. So he cared that they, the disciples, humanity, were perishing spiritually, lost in the ocean of sin and destined for an eternity in hell. So verse 25, we see that, let me get down to that verse over here. He says to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? And we've talked about this before because the disciples are with him. I think it was mentioned in the last one. To you, it is given to understand these things. They're brought in. They're the inner circle. They see him working all these miracles. But situationally, it's different because it's like, well, he can do all these crazy things and he can heal these people and he can make this guy walk who could never walk since he was born but he probably can't save us from these waves. Oh, he saved us from the waves too. And then something else happens. Oh, I don't know if he can do that one though. And it's like, don't, at what point is it like, okay, he can just do anything. So let's just believe in that. But again, for us to look at that and say that would be one thing. For us to be like them and realize that we wouldn't be any different, I think is the reality. So, but he says, where is your faith all the same? And they're still afraid and they marvel in the power, the displayed power of the Lord Jesus, the elements. Um, I can't remember where I read it. I don't know if it was in McDonald's commentary or another one that I had looked up, but it was just a neat phraseology of when the Lord went to sleep, when the Lord Jesus went to sleep, the storm awoke. But when the Lord Jesus awoke, 
the storm went to sleep. Because at the end there, it says that he spoke and the wind and the waves ceased and then there was a calm. And several times when I was on that boating trip, uh, I think it might have been Tom who said like, this is, there's no waves. Like when a boat goes by, you get the wake, sure. But other than that, it was just completely glass. Like it was super, super calm. And that's what I thought of. Like the fog had burned away. Everything was visible. It was very calm. And that's, you know, what I think of here that after the Lord Jesus spoke against, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, there was that calm. The power of the Lord Jesus, the one who created all of that, and they were surprised that he could control it. So, but at the end of chapter four of Luke, going way back, Jesus tells the people and likely the, the, the disciples as well that were present, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent to this purpose. Because again, like when you see him say, where is your faith? It's like faith in what? Faith that he can save them? Faith that because he said something like, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, that he wasn't just going to die in his boat. That wasn't going to be the story of Jesus, that he just ends in that middle of the lake, uh, Genesaret or the Sea of Galilee, and that's it. That's his, that's his story. Um, and in thinking of that, in thinking of Abraham, Abraham had faith that Isaac was going to get raised again from the dead by God just because God had said that he was going to make a great nation of him. God didn't say, go do these things, and by the way, I'm going to raise him again so you don't have to worry about it. It was a true test. So that type of faith, to just hear him say one thing and say, well, he said that, and now I know that that's going to happen, so whatever else happens, it must be X, Y, Z. It must be that this is going to happen, or he's going to do this because he said that this was going to happen, and I trust in that, I have faith in that, I believe that. So, again, very difficult to do in the moment, but there's a lot of things that we have from God in Scripture that he's told us that we can latch onto, promises that we can treasure and store up in our hearts that we can know that no matter what happens to us in life, we're held in the hand of the Father now and that no one can pluck us out of that. Um, and again, day to day, excuse me, we're in much more tame circumstances and scenarios. And do we give those over to God? Do we have that faith that he's going to see us through those circumstances, the storms, if you will, of our present happenings? Do we talk to him about the things that we're afraid of? Because it says here that they were afraid. They were even afraid after he calmed the storm because of his display of power. And I would say that I certainly don't. Certainly not as much or anywhere near as much as I should. And I'd like to strive to do that more. And I would encourage or exhort you all to do the same. So the next section here, as we get away from reading about the lake and the storm and all of that, they sailed to the country of, of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So starting in verse 26 there into 27 now, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. 
For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from there, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So I didn't go verse by verse in this section. We all know the story. You guys have read it many, many times. I'm sure I've read it many times. But immediately as I read it again this time, it harkened back to probably the story that I was a little less familiar with. But nonetheless, we've read many times about the the man with the, the, the unclean demon in the synagogue. And the demons know who Jesus is. A lot of times when you see them and they're confronted with the Lord Jesus, in that, in that case, it was, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And we see that Jesus doesn't want the testimony of demons, but they know who he is. There's no doubt. It's not like, oh, you're a prophet or you're a, you're a, a, a believer or you're a, you're, you're a man of God. But no, this is Jesus, son of the most high God. And it's obvious that Jesus has power. We saw the power of the Lord Jesus displayed and, you know, This section is Jesus' power over the elements, over the wind and the waves, Jesus' power over demons and evil spirits. In the next section, um, that I guess it might be me again, depending on what we're doing for the fifth Sunday, but the next section to be covered. um, Well, actually, are you going to be next? I can't remember the rotation, but okay. So maybe that you're covering. We'll see him healing again. We've seen him healing plenty, but um, healing a woman and and Jairus' daughter, uh, and so the power of the Lord is, is on display here, but the demon is immediately aware of the fact and begs, like, like pleading uh, to not be cast out and to not be, like, you can, almost, you can almost see it the way that it's written here because it says that, um, let me go back to it. He cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. So they were tormenting this man, but they're asking Jesus not to torment them. And then it says in the next verse, for he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So that was torment for them. They were being drawn out of that man by the Lord Jesus, and there was nothing they could do about it. But later they beg him even further to say, don't cast us into the abyss. And I don't know what that is. I mean, I didn't look at the etymology there, but I'm sure it's either back into hell, 
Sheol, the grave. It was a place that even the demons didn't want to go. They wanted to stay on earth. And more conjecture, sure, but I don't know. It was better for them because they were begging Jesus for this alternative. It was better for them to go into some pigs that eventually ran down the hill and jumped into the water and died. And I don't know what happened to the demons after that. If they then returned to the abyss anyway, or they were able to stay on the earth and go do the same you know, sort of thing and, and, and go possess something or someone else. Um, but that was what they preferred. That was better for them. And a lot of opponents of the Bible, based on what I read in McDonald's commentary, um, seem to criticize the Lord Jesus for the destruction of property. Like, why did he have to kill all those pigs? Like, why did he do what the demons wanted and, 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 and take that option? And it's, it's a very challenging one. McDonald conjectured that, you know, maybe the, if, the, if the herdsmen were Jews, then they were engaged in an illegal and unclean business because they were, they were um, dealing in, in pigs and, and swine. But if, even if they were Gentiles, that human beings should appreciate, not that they would have recognized what had just happened, but should have appreciated the saving of a single human life over that of a bunch of animals, even though it was 2,000. If you read the other accounts, you can see the number there. So this is not just like, oh, like 15 or 20 pigs. This is 2,000 pigs. So again, the livelihood of these herdsmen um, was, was pretty significantly impacted, depending on, again, we don't know if they were Israeli or, if, or, or, I'm sorry, Israelites or if they were not, but they should have appreciated either way the saving of one man's life as the Lord Jesus would because again it's not about the physical it's about the spiritual it was about helping this man and McDonald did lock in quite a bit on the fact that it seemed like the herdsmen what we just read and in the other accounts about the same story that you can read all it says that I could find is that they were afraid everyone was afraid but the fact that they asked him to leave just because they were afraid, like when the disciples saw him exercise his power and authority over the wind and the waves, they weren't like, we got to go, Jesus. Like, you know, you're too scary. Like, we don't want you around us. So it feels like there's something more going on here. And, you know, McDonald was, was proffering that they were like, you just destroyed 2,000 of our pigs, you're, you know, destruction of property. Like, you don't care about what we like, get out of here. We don't want you around us. So not just that his power was on display, it does say that they were afraid, but that he had done something that caused them to be angry with him because they, you know, they had lost so much. But they had lost so much from the physical wealth that they were focused on, not the well-being of this person who had just been saved from, I don't know how long, but a, almost maybe a lifetime of torment at the hand of these demons. But it wasn't the herdsman. It was this other person. Like, oh, that's good for him, but what about me? You just destroyed all my, my pigs. Like, me, me, me. Like, what, what about me? And again, an exhortation there to look outward um, more so than we look inward at ourselves and our own well-being and our own wealth, as our brother was reminding us this morning, and not focusing on that, that stuff. So the thought regardless of the circumstance, came to me about how we can do this daily. Not on that scale, but we can put certain things in our lives higher than Jesus or, or more important by the decisions that we make in the day-to-day. -day. We've talked about this before. This is not a new thing, but it was just a reminder 
Um, the pleasing quality of a nap over time spent with the Lord Jesus, the escape of playing a game or other pleasures of life that by themselves aren't sinful. But if that's all we do and we don't spend time with the Lord Jesus because we're always choosing to do those things first, then that's a problem. That can become a problem. So putting him first and spending that time with the Lord Jesus, making time for him and then doing those things is a better pattern. And all the exhortations that I'm mentioning are very sobering reminders for me. I didn't write these things to be like, I do them, you guys need to straighten up. They're all for me. But I hope they're a blessing as well and a reminder and an exhortation for all of us as I share them. But the last thing I wanted to focus on or look at was imagine being legion. Like, if I had not gone on that ocean trip, I could have probably been like, I imagine how scary that would be, but like, I don't, I haven't really been out on a boat in the ocean and felt those waves. And you have to give with the boat. If you just try to stand still, you're going to go flying. Like you have to hold on to something and you have to let your knees go. And you have to give with the boat as it rocks up and down in these big waves. Again, I felt them mostly when, when the other boats were coming by and these huge wake waves would come by. And so I'm getting a little bit more of an appreciation for like, this is, this is pretty scary. And that was without wind. That was without, you know, storm and rain and all kinds of lightning, whatever else. Um, but some of this stuff is scary, but we can, we can sort of enter into it based on our experience. I don't know what it's like to be in the vehicle of your body, but not in the driver's seat. When we do things that we want to do, we just do them. But imagine being in your body and not being able to do what you want to do because some other force is making you do things that you don't want to do. I thought of Paul and that glimpse into the spiritual side where we're wrestling with the spiritual and we're wrestling with the physical. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do because we inhabit fleshly, sinful bodies until we go to be with the Lord Jesus and are given new ones. But in this case, this man was inhabited by all these demons and you may say like, well, maybe he just didn't know what was happening. He's like unconscious and it's just they're, they're, they're in the driver's seat and they're doing whatever. But I would disagree based on how grateful he is when it's all said and done. He just wants to stay with the Lord Jesus and go with him. And Jesus says, no, you need to go back. And, and a lot of times he says, don't say anything about this. But in this case, he says, go back and tell, let me see, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And I thought that was another interesting and awesome layer of the Lord Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's not how much I've done for you, but how much God has done for you. So he sent him away with that, with that command to go and return to your home. And the guy does it because He wanted to be with the Lord Jesus, but he could take joy, whether he realized it or not, that he was working for and bringing joy to the Lord Jesus, probably much more so by sharing the testimony and the things that the Lord had done for him and wrought for him in his life. So again, as a sub thought or an exhortation there, each and every one of us who's saved and born again has been saved from a fate that you could argue is likely worse than demon possession. Because even though we're in our right minds now, when we die... We were destined for an eternity, not a few years, not a lifetime, forever to burn in the lake of fire, to be in hell. And we've been saved from that. 
And I think each and every one of us this morning who are saved, we recognize it. We know it. We know what we were headed for. We may not know what it would feel like or what the full experience would be, but we can be thankful that we don't have to ever figure that out. But now we know what we're translated over to and what we're destined for now that we've been paid for and saved by the blood of Christ. So knowing this, are we going throughout the cities? Are we going to our local areas? And are we proclaiming how much Jesus has done for us? Just like this man went back, as the Lord had said, and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I know that, again, I don't do it enough. So another exhortation for us to do these things for the one who did all things for us. So just a few different thoughts, kind of a smattering of things, themes that I've brought up many, many times before, but they are, I feel very necessary exhortations again for myself, and I hope that they're a blessing as well, because I feel like I just need that constant reminder to live for Christ, live for Christ, live for Christ, because without that offsetting reminder to do that, the world is more than happy to bombard you with the opposite reminder to live for yourself, live for yourself, be comfortable, gain wealth, like harbor and hoard as much wealth as you can, look for pleasures, you know, look for the easy life. And we need that offsetting reminder to live for Christ. And it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. Um, It's going to be going against the flow, but it's necessary. And it's our reasonable sacrifice for him. So let's just give him thanks this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son once again, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for these stories that we can read that remind us, even in our lives, how much more important the spiritual is than the physical. Even though we're surrounded like the disciples were, surrounded by water, we're surrounded by a bombardment of the physical, the things that are right in front of us and not the spiritual. Pray that you would just give us the the grace Uh, to surround ourselves with the spiritual as much as we can, to make time to spend with you, to make time uh, in prayer and spending reading your word and to, to live for you, Father. We just thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you that as happy as Legion was to be saved from his demon possession, we could be much more so happy and overjoyed that we've been saved from an eternity in hell. Pray that you would just help us to live like that and to shout it as he did in the city to tell of the great things that you've done for us. We thank you for these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.